Shire podcast. You are here for another soul episode with your host, Lydia Mackay. And I'm so excited to be here because we're talking about one of my favorite topics. We're talking about bone stress injuries for runners or stress fractures or what else is it called? Stress reactions, bony injuries. Uh, that is what we are chatting about. And it's a topic I've wanted to speak about on the podcast for so, so, so long. And I haven't because it's such a huge topic. And honestly, I just wasn't prepared to go into the detail because it's just huge. And there's so much to it and it's so complex. And honestly, I don't think this is going to just be a one single episode on bone stress because there is so much to talk about. And I do think that, yeah, I just wouldn't be doing the topic justice to say that this is the one and done episode for everything about bone stress injuries. Although the goal of today's episode is to cover a lot of the basics, a lot of the important things to consider if you're a runner and you're suspecting you might have some bony injury or some things that you can do to potentially prevent bone injury. But mostly we're going to be talking about what it is, how it's graded, the things to look out for, the risk factors, and a little bit around the early management and roughly what your return to run journey is going to look like. Uh, There's so much, again, I keep saying there's just so much about bone stress injuries that we would need whole episodes on to talk about because unfortunately or fortunately, there are actually quite complex injuries. They're not as straightforward as Uh, I would like them to be. They're they're quite complex, which also makes them really interesting and something that I could chat about for hours and hours and hours. And yeah, anyway, today we're going to chat about bone stress injuries. And before we get into it, I just want to say thank you for being here so much. Thank you to everyone who has listened to all the episodes, or if this is your first episode, thank you for tuning in. I can't wait to teach you something about bones, or maybe you already know about bones and you're just here to have a bit of a reminder about them. Uh, or maybe you're maybe you're just listening in because you just enjoy the podcast. I don't know. Anyway, thank you so much for being here. Very excited. Uh, and if you are listening and you're a regular listener and you haven't left us a review yet, I would absolutely love if you could pause this episode and go and leave a quick little review or a five-star rating. That would be wonderful. And as well, if you could share a picture of where you're listening because It really makes both Soph and I smile so much when you guys post the little picture of you listening to the podcast when you're out on your run, out on your walk, doing your food prep, whatever it is that you're doing, doing your calf raises probably. Uh, It's so nice. And just all the messages that we receive all the time as well. Thank you so much to everyone who, who does that. So yeah, just wanted to say that. Thank you for everyone who listens. And thanks for being here today. Can't wait to teach you about bones. All right, let's get straight into it. I reckon no dilly-dallying today, even though that is my favorite thing to do. Uh, Bone stress injuries. Now, it's come at quite a timely time. And by that, I mean that I'm currently experiencing my own little bone stress injury. And I am going to talk a little bit about my personal experience whilst talking about a bit of the research and the science um, because, you know, you can go onto Dr. Google and read the research yourself, but honestly, that is tiring and boring. Um, but actually, like hearing that combination of research and my experience as a physio treating patients with bone stress injuries and then my own experience having a bone stress injury uh, will hopefully give you a bit more of a rounded understanding and help the information sink in a little bit better, which will prevent your future bone stress injuries slash just, you know, make you more aware about the things that can happen when you do too much running. All right. So uh, 
my current update, I think you guys, well, if you listen to the most recent episodes, you'll know that I've been struggling with some injuries. Now, I just don't even know where to begin. This year, or should I say the last six months, has been quite turbulent. I had a great start to the year. I ran a 5K PB and I was so stoked. Everything was going so well. And my new goal was to get obviously (laughs) another 5k pb basically i've had my eyes on running a sub uh what is it sub 40 minute 10k for ages and i just i feel like the stars just hadn't aligned like it wasn't really i don't think it's a very ambitious goal for me is what i'm trying to say like the last time i ran a 10k i had the flu i was so sick i hardly slept but i was like yeah i'm still gonna show up and run and i ran exactly 40 minutes and like six seconds and it was really exciting and also heartbreaking I mean mostly exciting I was like so stoked because I was like gee if I can do that when I'm really under the weather can't wait to go and smash that time so really the stars just have not aligned since that was uh October last year I think wow almost a year ago now and yeah so what are we now we're in August end of August October last year yeah so coming up to a year ago and since then like you know post that I was like that was Okay, gosh, so many tangents. I'm going to try and stay on track. But basically what I'm saying is training was going relatively well. I hadn't put much focus on speed because I was a year and a bit post stress fracture, which was 2021, I believe, 2021 or 2022, 2021, end of 2021, had a stress fracture in my metatarsal. And yeah, pretty much a year after that, I was like, all right, time to start doing some speed work, which we'll talk about soon about recovery timeframes and all that. Um, I basically took a whole year before I got back to any speed work very intentionally. My goal was get strong, healthy bones. And that's what I focused on. Post that, started doing some speed work, did that 10K, felt really good, that was sick. And then I was training for some swimming events, so didn't really do as much running speed stuff. And then coming into 2023, started this year, um, just like doing all my usual leisure running, like all very chill, casual. And then did this 5K just randomly and got a PB and I was so excited. It was just under 19 minutes, which I was so excited about because that just sounds so fast to me. And you know, this is not a podcast to be about like the times because obviously everyone is different and no matter how fast I go, there'll always be someone faster than me. And at the same time, there'll always be someone slower than me. And I think that is the same. Well, not I think that is the same for literally everyone. No matter where you are, there's always someone better than you that can make you feel like shit. And there's always someone worse than the you that can make you feel better. So I just think like the actual times are not important. But for me, I was very stoked and proud of myself and it felt very easy and comfortable. I didn't feel like I was trying that hard. I I was nasal breathing the whole way. I felt relaxed, calm, focused and just stoked. And so I was like, uh, okay, like, cool. If that is the time that I can get without too much training, I am ready to train hard, go heavy at the gym, like work on my power, work on my speed. I'm going to chase some 5k times. Anyway, that resulted in me tearing my hamstring a week or two later, a proximal hamstring tear, which you guys know all about if you've been listening to the podcast. And that was, um, happened at the gym. I was like overstretching, underweight, really unlucky, but also potentially just a sign that I've got some, I guess, sort of long-standing hamstring stuff that I hadn't really focused on, which I was very aware of and hence why I was working on my hamstrings, but obviously just got a little bit too excited, carried away, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, pretty much since then, 
that was in oh, maybe March-ish. And since then, everything's a little bit just not so great. I've had some troubles with my perineal again, had some troubles with my lower back, had some troubles with this nerve pain, had some trouble with my hip. And honestly, I think what's been going on is I've been doing a lot of compensation with my running. I haven't really been running right. I've been trying to do all the things, doing my strength work, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think, I think I, I mean, maybe I just haven't done as good of a job as I thought I had or, or, I mean, I don't know what, I guess, like it's hard to analyze yourself. And I, I love the analysis and I love the reflection and I think about all these things. And there's also a time at which you have to go, look, I'm not going to delve too much into all the different things. Like I'm just going to stick to my rehab, trust the process, do the things and not personalize injury too much. Cause I think that's something I've made the mistake of in the past is like really blame myself for getting injured. I'm like, I'm a physio. I should know better. I, I'm not an idiot. Like I'm not obsessed with running. I've got other things in my life. I don't need to get these overuse injuries. Uh, yet the reality is like my injury wasn't really about overuse. It was about the gym, about being silly. And then, yeah, my hip again was from the gym. Not quite sure how I did that, but yep, hurt my hip at the gym. And yeah, since then there's been this bit of a spiral. And basically where I am today is... I am in a boot, I'm in a moon boot and I have a suspected sort of mid, uh, gosh, mid portion, uh, fifth metatarsal bone stress. Now my guess is it's like very mild. I'm going to say it's like grade one, very mild, uh, but I really need to get it better. And the management for that right now is not doing any running, wearing a boot and not doing too much walking, not do too much sort of axial loading stuff. So all my strength routine at the moment is in the gym, single leg uh, on my left and then seated lower body exercises like leg extension, hammy curl, Roman chair, uh, what else? Yeah, all that stuff. Um, and then obviously single leg and obviously upper body, obviously core as well. It's fine. Uh, but that's where I'm at the moment. I'm getting an MRI this afternoon. And I thought since I'm doing this, I know last time I had a stress fracture a few years ago, I, as I just mentioned before, I felt very embarrassed. I felt very guilty. I felt like it was my fault and I was angry with myself. I was frustrated. I felt like I should have known better. I also loved and was excited by the opportunity to learn more about bone stress and do something different than running because I, I really do enjoy running yet I've got other things that I enjoy doing as well and so I was more annoyed at myself for making an overtraining error but where I am now I am definitely a lot more comfortable with having this injury and I'm a lot more like you know what it's just another injury and this is just part of part of life like you know sometimes things don't go well and yes there are definitely risk factors which we're going to delve into yet you know it's not that personal like these things happen and I will get better I will overcome and just like you listening will get better and will overcome your injury because every single injury I really truly so strongly believe that it makes you stronger and better it makes you more resilient provided you do the work, not only physically, but mentally too. And I know I'm getting all a bit sort of woo-woo and hippie, but I can't help it because that's just who I am. Anyway, I think that is enough of my personal story. Pretty much, I just thought this would be a good opportunity to share where I'm at and what I'm going through and give you the live updates. Because pretty much last time I had this bone stress injury, I was like, oh, I should like document it. I should like 
you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I couldn't because I was so upset about it. Like I, I filmed stuff and I honestly, I felt so embarrassed. Like I wasn't even that upset about my foot, but I was more just like embarrassed. I was like, no, like, oh, it's so stupid that I've got this injury. Like, oh, this is just, it's embarrassing. Like embarrassment and guilt. I was like, I've done this to myself. Like, I'm not going to turn this into content. Like I'm, I'm so bad. I'm a bad person. I've got this injury. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, guys, we've got an injury. Don't beat yourself up, learn from it and move on. And like at the end of the day, nothing matters that much. I was literally having this conversation with my colleague the other day. I was like, nothing actually matters as much as we think it is. Like <laughs> it's not life or death. Yes, there are things in life that are life and death, but this isn't like, this is an injury and it sucks and it's annoying, but like, it's just an injury and your body is so adaptable. Your body is so strong and resilient and you can recover and you will recover provided you do the things and you do the work. And if, and if you want it, you can, and you will. So that is my little bit of, I don't know what, but anyway, there it is. All right, here we go, guys. We're getting into the science and I only blabbed for 12 and a half minutes. So uh, here we are. All right, so bone stress, what is it? Now, I use the word bone stress. I used to pretty much say stress fracture anytime I was referring to any bone stress because it was just a sort of more easily understood word amongst runners. But pretty much bone stress is just referring like any sort of bone injury, whether it's mild bone strain to a stress reaction to a stress fracture or like a displaced stress fracture. And something that is probably worth noting is that fracture is broken. Fracture means it's, it is broken bone, break bone snap. Now that doesn't mean it is a displaced, like poking out of your skin. That's a different thing, but fracture is like a break. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think the word fracture was like a smaller version of a break. I was like, either you have a fractured arm or a broken arm and a broken arm is much worse than a fractured arm but no guys broken is just the colloquial term for fracture so if anyone says oh it's only a fracture thank goodness like I don't know what you're talking about because that's just not that's just not how it works but also um you know that's okay (laughs) if you didn't know that I didn't know that until I went to uni or maybe read about it I don't know anyway doesn't matter basically guys if I say fracture it means break uh, that's, that's just for your reference. If you did not know, hopefully you did know, but if not, I'm so glad to tell you because now you can, you can walk around with your head held high knowing, you know, what fracture means. All right. So bone stress, we're talking about anything from mild bone strain all the way up to stress fracture and yeah, stress fracture. So pretty much bony stress is an overuse condition, just like every other injury that runners get pretty much. We always get overuse conditions. So it is when we have a repetition of mechanical loading to our bone and the bone is just not able to recover at the rate that we are loading it so essentially overloading and and slash inadequate recovery and if we look at it on a cellular level it's literally the imbalance of tissue breakdown and remodeling so naturally when we mechanically load our body we get these little tiny micro cracks and that's fine. That's normal. That's even good because these little micro cracks are part of what encourages and stimulates our bone to become stronger over time. Just like when you go to the gym, you do your big, heavy bicep curls. And then the next day you're like, oh, my biceps are sore. You've got these little little micro not micro cracks, but micro tears in your muscle, in your biceps. And then the next day you get bigger biceps and you're really strong and you do your flexing for the camera when people are like hey can I take your photo and you're like yep 
check out my biceps. So same thing happens with our bone. Although I should say running is not considered the best bony activity if you're wanting to like have really strong big bones because everyone wants really strong big bones or should I say dense bones that's probably more what you're aiming for Um, but if you've got um, ambitious big bone goals that's awesome as well but basically we're aiming for nice bone mineral density that's the goal so anyway running we get this overload or just like load through our bones and then just naturally like normally we get these little micro cracks that's little micro damage and depending on the area, the body will just repair that. And that's really normal. That's really good. And so there's different parts of bone. We've got like our spongy bone, which is also, well, we call it, we call it spongy bone, but it's actually trabecular bone or cancellous bone. And that will actually take the longest to sort of recover and turn over and heal. But you get this little micro crack, then you get the microcallus that's like this formation this healing formation and then over time that just repairs and then the other part of our bone is the cortical bone and with that one when it has this little like micro cracks you actually get this uh like reabsorption of the bone so the bone kind of um reabsorbs and then you get this increase in osteoblast activity and then that refills in that reabsorption sort of cavity and that that builds the bone Now, I don't think we really need to go into too much more detail than that because that process has a lot of influences and I'm not an endocrinologist, so it's not my specialty to talk about that in detail. I'm not a doctor, not an endocrinologist, I'm not a sports doc. So they're the kind of people that you would talk to about the detail of that process. So things that are going to influence your body's ability to repair that bone are huge like there's so many different factors and we'll talk a little bit about that soon but as I said this topic as a whole that we need more episodes on it so today is going to be covering the main things that you need to know and understand about and sort of touching on some other topics that would then potentially at some point which we will have a more detailed episode on so that's just having a bit of an understanding that your bone is meant to have this little micro damage when we load it mechanically you know you jump you run you hop you do your marathon training, whatever, you get these little micro cracks. But the issue that arises is when that recovery time is not happening as fast as the breakdown is happening. So we have this imbalance. You're breaking down your bone every day when you run and your body's doing its normal thing, trying to recover. But we just simply like bones take a long time to heal that that little micro crack. Like it's not like a muscle that heals in a couple of days or six weeks or a tendon, 12 weeks. Bone takes a long, long time. So If your training volume is really high, which is a risk factor for stress fractures or bone stress, you are going to have to have uh, the right amount of recovery so that your bone can just handle that loading. And if you get that balance out, get that balance wrong, those little tiny micro cracks start to sort of uh, build up and add up and they sort of all become together and that turns into a stress fracture or a bone stress or like a hot spot you could say like we have this area that now is like sort of weakened so it adds up and depending on how sort of far you've pushed it will depend whether it is uh, like a, a stress reaction grade one all the way up to a stress fracture, potentially a displaced stress fracture if you've sort of tried to run on it. Uh, So yeah, that is what it is at a sort of pathophysiological level. And again, more detail to come in another episode. So we have to understand that it is on a continuum and it, it is just simply an imbalance. And it doesn't just go one day nothing to the next day a fracture. It's not like you've fallen out of a tree and you've landed on your arm and you had healthy bone and suddenly it snapped. It is this 
process that happens over time, over time. And so when I see people coming into the clinic and I suspect that they might have a stress fracture or bony stress, I'm going to be looking at their training history and I'm going to be looking at what they've been doing, not just the last couple of weeks, but the last couple of months. And I'm going to be looking for any sudden changes to their training volume or training type. There's, there's a few different parts in that as well. And it's not just about the last couple of weeks. It, it is that longer period of time because it, because bones take a long time. So this isn't an injury that just is like, oh, I did like five marathons in five days. Like, cool, good on you. Probably going to be really sore. But if you've got a lot of pain, you're probably going to be in pain because you've got more muscle damage and you've got some sort of inflammatory process. You've probably got tenosynovitis. Like you have lots of different things going on. But usually those bony injuries are ones that have happened over a longer period of time. Okay. Now, other things to look out for, like if this is you, you've got pain somewhere in your body, and you're like, is this a bony injury? The sort of bone pain pattern is a bit different to other running injuries. A lot of running injuries will have a warm up effect, but typically bones don't warm up. They actually get worse the more you exercise, the more the more you do weight bearing activity. Now, there is a little caveat to that. In the early stages of bone stress, or or I guess early stress fracture, you could even say. The, the bone actually will warm up because usually what happens is that very early stage, you've actually just got edema or swelling in that periosteum, which is the outer layer of the bone. And that swelling, as you exercise, will actually sort of just get pushed out a bit and the pain will go away. You'll do your run and then maybe by the end or after the run, you'll be like, oh, shit, that's not right. Like my foot is really sore or my hip is really sore or whatever it is. And so, you know, that's why often early stage, it's so hard to pick up. Uh, unless you're like, you know, really aware of it or whatever. Uh, in saying that, we definitely do pick up bony injuries that are like that, yet it is harder to pick up. Thankfully, that is actually where I've picked up my bony injury, which is amazing. Uh, I'm stoked about that. And hence why I said I reckon mine is very, 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 very mild. Although what I haven't mentioned is that mine was warming up. And unfortunately, I did a walk run on it, which... It didn't warm up on. So my last run, it didn't warm up. My last two runs, actually, I should say. And yeah, a little bit bummed about that because I feel like if I'd just not done that last walk run, which was 24 minutes of running over 14 Ks, I reckon if I didn't do that, I potentially would not have had to have been in the boot. But anyway, that's, you know, is what it is. Again, not trying to uh, make this personal, but just to give you some context. All right, so it's pain that typically doesn't warm up. It gets worse with activity and it gets better with less activity. Now, early stages, it may warm up. Later stages, it will probably even be aching at rest. Now, when I had my bone injury two years ago. So I had a stress fracture in my second metatarsal, uh, sort of at the head of that second metatarsal. That was really interesting, actually. I had no signs of it prior and like absolutely nothing, no tenderness, no pain or nothing, not aware at all, except when it started, it just started. Like I was in the middle of a run and I was like, oh, my foot hurts. It was like I'd stepped on something, but it wasn't that dramatic and it was fine. And the next day, I like it sort of hurt the whole day, the rest of the day, but like it wasn't bad. But I was like, yeah, this is a little bit weird. This is different to what I've had before. Like I didn't do anything. I was just running in the middle of the run. It was like a 12K run. Next day, I did 24Ks and that was what I planned to do. And I was running with a friend and, you know, obviously you meet a friend like, hey, we're doing this run. And I'd mentioned to my friend, I was like, oh, I've got like 
this little bit of pain in my foot. Like I'm not entirely sure, but I'll just see how I go. Like it'll probably warm up. We'll just see how it goes. Hurt the whole run. And I was like, okay, definitely there. I like straight away because obviously being a physio, I'm like, okay, this is not right. This is not what I would expect. This is not a normal injury. Hadn't had bone stress before. I took a whole week off and my foot literally just ached all day, every day in the night. Like all the time, like my foot ached. I didn't notice any swelling, but it just ached. And you do, you can get swelling as well. I should have mentioned that too. But yeah, it just ached the whole time. And so I was like, I've stopped doing all my running and I've still got this aching foot. Like this is not a normal sort of soft tissue injury. This seems like a bone. And so I didn't do any walking. Um, I like didn't do any heavy, hard lower body stuff at the gym. Still just a sore. End of the week, I was like, right, I'm going to test like a, a walk. I remember I walked... I walked an hour because like, uh, I was just like trying to figure out if it was warming up or not. It's so hard, you know, and it just got worse in that hour. And so obviously I got an MRI, which confirmed the bone stress or the stress fracture, blah, blah, blah. But that's, yeah, that was my experience. But my, there was really no warning signs. And I've definitely had lots of patients that have come in and they've said to me like, like, why did this happen? I mean, obviously there's lots of things and we're going to talk about that in a sec, but you know, I had no warning signs. Like I would have stopped. I would have pulled back if I thought that there was something wrong. Like I, I wouldn't have pushed through pain, but sometimes you don't get warning signs. So again, don't beat yourself up if you have like gotten it to the point where it is a stress fracture. Like even though it takes a really long time to build up, you may not actually get warning signs. So I have with my foot this time, which I'm stoked about yet. You, you may not like, it might just happen really quickly and you may not notice. So that is that. All right. So if you are wanting to get diagnosed, I mean, obviously no one wants to have it, but if you suspect something like this, you need to get an MRI. That is the gold standard of diagnosing. If you go in and see a physio, they'll probably get you to hop on that side. So let's say it's your, it could be, you know, it could be in your hip, it could be your femur, your tibia, anywhere in your body. But usually the physio is going to get you to do a hop test because that is a very sensitive test for bone stress usually any sort of heavy axial loading is gonna bring on your pain bring on your symptoms in saying that like early stage not necessarily for example i had a patient just this week who had a or she came in she told me she had calf pain uh turns out well i've just found out this afternoon actually it is grade two a grade two bone stress injury of her medial tibia and she actually could hop without pain, but there was this hesitation. And that sort of hesitation is something that I see really common. So either it's really painful to hop or like they go to hop and they're like, oh, like I just, oh, I just am not confident to hop on this leg. And like they do, but there's this real apprehension around hopping. So yeah, that's something that I see really common. Either pain on hopping, like really painful, hop higher, even worse, um, or like real hesitation. And that's how I've been like testing my foot is you know a couple of weeks ago I did a four had a week off did a 4k run kind of felt it next day did my hop test pain-free I was like sweet cool progress next day I did my 24 minute run six minutes on six minutes off or whatever it was and then went to do my hop test after that run could not hop 
like so painful could not hop. So mine obviously sort of progressed pretty rapidly. Um, but anyway, I think, as I said last week, I think that was more about my dancing than I did than the actual run because I did a lot of jumping, a lot of hopping when I was dancing under the influence and yeah, not a great mix for bones. All right. So if you are suspecting some bone injury, you're going to go in, you're going to see a physio and you're going to get them to have an assessment. Usually there's going to be some sort of small localized tender spot on the bone. And depending on the area that you've got the injury, you may or may not be able to find it. So there's some parts of the body, which are quite hard to get into, like quite a common site, which is the most common site is our medial tibia or sort of like posterior medial, which means like the inside of our shin bone, but kind of almost around the back. So if you're like poking in your, like poking in that sort of bony part of your shin, you're kind of coming almost around the back and like, I know that I'm looking for that, but if you're a patient or if you're an everyday runner, you may not sort of think to like poke, try and really poke your fingers right around the back. It's kind of an awkward spot to get into. And again, like with our feet, there's some spots which are quite bony and easy to get into, but other spots which are harder to sort of poke around. And like with my metatarsal, where the site is, like I press all along the top of the bone, it feels really good, sort of along the side of the bone, it feels really great. But if I kind of poke my fingers sort of around the underside, which is kind of hard to get into, that is where there is that really small local tender spot of pain. Um, with my previous stress fracture, it was like sort of the head of the second metatarsal, which was a little bit harder to poke. And it was, gosh, you know, actually I can't even quite remember. I think it must have been on the, the underside, so the plant aspect. And I, I don't remember being able to find the sore spot, like kind of, but it was a bit vague. Whereas frequently in the clinic, I see a lot of people that I can find the spot, I press on it and it sends them to the roof. They're like, oh, yep, that's the spot. Whereas like a lot of other injuries, there's not as much of that focal tender spot of pain. Okay, uh, tender spot of pain on your bone is usually not a good sign. Uh, but yeah, MRI is the gold standard. If you get an X-ray, it usually won't show you much because the X-ray will sort of only show like a really big displaced fracture or a really clear fracture line, or it will show healing of a fracture a couple months later, or sorry, a couple weeks later. But usually, at least two weeks later. So uh, it's just kind of a waste of time. Like X-rays are cheap and quick. You get your results really quickly. You, you get in really quickly. You don't have to book, blah, blah, blah. But like, honestly, I think it's just a waste of time. I mean, for some injuries, great, cool. But uh, yeah, it's going to rule out any major fractures. But like if you've got, if you're a runner and you've got bone pain, get an MRI. It's the gold standard. It is more expensive, but like it's your health. So it's just not worth dilly-dallying, I would say. Now, who gets stress fractures? So obviously runners get them. Uh, if you're a runner, I'm sure you'll know someone who's had a stress fracture, but lots of lots of people can get them. Um, a lot of sports that have got high impacts like dancers and gymnasts because a lot of jumping, hopping, uh, but also military recruits, really popular, really popular, really common uh, as well. I, I mean, there's lots of different sports that get them, but really just anything where you're weight bearing and you've got a high volume of training, you're going to be at risk. And as I said before, like it's essentially an overuse injury. So it's too much load on this though. Like it's important to understand that this is complex and it's not just too much load. It's, it's under recovery, or maybe it's not too much load. It's just no recovery. Uh, maybe you're, you were able to handle that load, but now you've had some other health things go on, like something with your endocrine health, something with your uh, metabolic health. Like there could be other things going on, which could then, cause you to end up with this injury like you're doing the same training load but your your recovery goes down and we've spoken about this a lot on the pod, podcast or at least I have that 
recovery might need to be sort of increased if we've got other sort of things that are going to affect our capacity to recover or on the other side training load should decrease if we've got other factors which are inhibiting our ability to recover for example poor sleep increased stress uh recently i was reading a paper about anxiety and recovery uh so anyone with anxiety i'm gonna just say say depression too i'm gonna say any mental health conditions now i'm just throwing this out there because as i said i've read a paper about anxiety i don't know as much about the other ones but sleep and stress are just so huge and it's so hard to really quantify and I'm sure in the future there'll be a better way for us to sort of track like I am two out of ten anxious today or I'm two out of ten depressed today and my recovery is going to be inhibited therefore I'm going to drop my training volume by 10% like maybe one day there'll be be this tool which we can just like do a bit of an audit of where we're at and we'll be able to adjust our training load appropriately But right now, it's like you and your Strava graph, your Garmin, like just how you feel in the morning, how many coffees you have a day. And it's confusing and it's hard. So again, don't beat yourself up if you've had this injury because like it's hard. And often when people are stressed or anxious or whatever it is, you might increase your training volume to sort of uh, self-soothe and like manage whatever else is going on. And for me, I know the last couple of months, I've been feeling really stressed. I've actually been feeling quite anxious and feeling really overwhelmed in life. And that's related to some things which I'm not going to talk about because it's just not that kind of podcast, but some other things which have been going on. And that's actually really affected my sleep. So there's been a lot of nights where I I just really haven't slept that well and I've woken up feeling more exhausted and, and, and that's gone on for quite a while. And I really, really, truly think that that is related to my injury like I really truly think it is I think if your recovery is not as good then how can you suspect suspect how can you expect to adapt and how can you expect to not get injured so again we could have a whole podcast episode on recovery and it's very nuanced it's very complex uh, but don't don't underestimate stress and again such a general word but there is so much that can make up your stress and if there is that increased stress and again I'm saying that generally but I'm I'm talking about all those different things your ability to handle your load is going to be decreased so no matter how strong you are at the gym no matter how like easy your easy runs are or whatever it is that you're doing to manage your training volume if that recovery is not there because of whatever is going on you're not going to be able to handle it and you're going to break down at some point so I'm sorry to be pessimistic Actually, no, it's not pessimistic. It's just real. It's just how it is. So more, I'm sure there's going to be more research and more tools in the future. Um, But for now, you know, just be aware of it. Just try and monitor it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But yeah, very complex, guys. Let's talk a little bit more about sort of other biological risk factors because there are definitely some things to be aware of aside from just like general stress, uh, which I've mentioned, stress, sleep, mental health, all that stuff. Uh, Females are actually more at risk And I think I remember reading a paper years ago when I had my first injury. It was something like running over 50Ks a week automatically put you into like, you know, the most increased risk of having bone stress. And I remember at the time I was running like 130Ks a week, obviously female. And there was lots of other boxes that I ticked as well, which I'll talk about in a second. But all those things, I was like, oh my goodness, like I am the perfect candidate for bone stress. So yeah, over 50Ks, which... Maybe lots of you listening will be like, oh, I would never run that much. But I also reckon there's going to be lots of you listening that are like, gosh, like 50K a week would be like my deload week. So uh, just remember that even though you get used to it, it still is a lot 
of load on our system. And if we don't have really good bone density, really good recovery, really good endocrine health, blah, 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 then, you know, we just are increased risk. That's just how it is, unfortunately. And I know for like an elite runner, 50Ks a week is probably not that much. But, you know, it just is how it is. Elite runners get more bone stress injuries than non-elite runners. So uh, that's that's just how it is. Uh, sure, when I say non-elite runners, like compared to like a um, lower volume recreational runner. Uh, hopefully that makes sense. Anyway, back to those biological factors. So uh, sleep, stress, mental health, I mentioned running over, you know, 50Ks a week, roughly. Like that was one research that I looked at, but... I think that number is a little bit, you know, just thrown up in the air. Basically, if you're running a lot, you're more likely to get it. The more you run, the more likely. Uh, Medications, again, I can't really go into detail on that. I'm not a pharmacist, but there are certain regulations which are going to affect how quickly your body is able to build bone. Other things are just your skeleton in general. So if you've got poor bone mineral density, it's going to be more likely that you get a stress fracture. Now, bone mineral density is related to so many things and that could be like for example it could be your sporting history as a child we know that children who grow up playing a multitude of multi-direction sports and a range of sports not just one sport are actually actually have better skeletons when they grow up it's compared to someone who just does one sport Another one too is like not doing sport. Your skeleton is just not going to be nearly as good. So, you know, probably most of you listening to this aren't uh under under the age of like 20 15 I don't know like if you're if you're an adolescent or even younger then I guess you've still got a little bit more chance to build that skeleton but the reality is like we're talking like kids like pre-puberty sort of kids uh so yeah sporting history you can't change it but just be aware your diet so poor nutrition can be a factor like poor calcium intake poor vitamin d intake or absorption, whatever. Some sort of like medical conditions, osteopenia, um, endocrine conditions, for example, PCOS, which is me putting my hand up. Um, that's something that is worth mentioning if you're a female and you haven't had your period, which was me putting my hand up many years ago. Didn't have a period for a really long time due to my polycystic ovarian syndrome, which wasn't diagnosed for a very long time, blah, blah, blah. But having that just automatically means that I'm more likely to have a fracture because when you don't have a period that is like the worst thing that you can do for your bone health now I'm not an endocrinologist but my understanding is and please speak to your doctor speak to endocrinologist Uh, but yeah I'm quoting my endocrinologist and other endocrinologists that I've spoken to is that periods are so important for your bone health so if you don't have one you really need to get that sorted and that is not just about um, fertility or I don't know like I don't know what else people want periods for it's not just for fertility it is for your your health so please go and get that looked at uh, something else reds so relative energy deficiency in sport now that again deserves a whole episode but basically if you're in an energy deficient state so you don't have enough energy to support the training that you're doing that can increase your risk of bone stress injuries so a whole lot of things there guys and some of them you won't be able to change for example me I'm female I can't change that I did play some sports as a kid although 
uh, I mean, I, I did I did dancing, I did ballet, which was very productive for bone health. Although I had a lot of injuries as a kid. I had a lot of muscle tears. I had osteoarthritis, blah, blah, blah. So I actually had a lot of time where I wasn't able to do any sport and that would have affected my bone health. Um, what else? Uh, running over 50Ks, obviously. Uh, what was the other one? Um, periods. Oh yeah, endocrine health. So yeah, if you listen, if you read that list and you're like, oh gosh, like I'm already ticking boxes. Look, it is what it is. Some things you can change, some things you can't. Nutrition, you can change. Relative energy deficiency disorder, you can change. But you can't go back and change the past. You can you can just work on the things that you're now. So if you're wondering if you've got any of these things, I would go and get a DEXA scan. And a DEXA scan is like a, a dual X-ray scan. And it's the gold standard for bone mineral density testing. And it looks at your skeleton and it tells you where you sit for your age and whether you're normal, good, bad, whatever. And I would recommend that, you know, actually, I would recommend everyone gets one because bone health is so important and it's not just about not getting a stress fracture. It's about not being 60 or 70 and like tripping and falling over on your hip and ending up with a femoral neck stress fracture and then dying five years later. That might sound dramatic, but guys, that is what happens to people with osteoporotic bones or osteopenia. That is really common. The, the I'm pretty sure, no, I'm pretty sure, I, I think... After five years after a femoral neck fracture, if you're over the age of like, I think it's 65 or 70, you are likely to die within five years. I think it's like 70, 80% or something like that. I could have that wrong. So please don't quote me on that. But you guys will know the paper I'm talking about. If you're a health professional, you know what I'm talking about. Basically, bone density is so important. So if you think yours may not be great, or maybe you're just curious and you want to improve your health, go and get a check. Uh, you do need to get a referral from your GP, but that shouldn't be too hard to go to. You can just express your concern, blah, 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 and go and get one. They're relatively cheap-ish, like 150-ish dollars. And there's heaps of clinics all around. <laughs> I was going to say all around the world. Um, yeah, there is heaps all around the world, all around Sydney too. Okay. All right. So they are the biological factors. Then the next part is biomechanical. So sudden increases in training loads is just the obvious one, but sudden increases or sorry, sudden changes just in general. So you might have a sudden change in your biomechanics, or you might have a sudden change in your footwear or a sudden change in your running surfaces. Now, this is really important. And this would be what I would say is my biggest mistake. And also mistakes that I've seen very commonly in the clinic is People who have got some sudden change, their actual running volume stays the same. So they think they're in the clear. They're like, yeah, my training volume is the same, uh, but they have just changed something. So like they've gone from always wearing hocker, bondi's, really plush cushion shoes. And suddenly they're like, I'm going to be a barefoot runner. And they do all the running barefoot. And what do they get? Metatarsal stressy. So for me, when I had my injury two years ago, I was doing heaps of trail running. I was doing heaps of sand running, heaps of grass running, uh, just like everything. It was very different. Every day was a little bit different, but I was probably on the trail two or three times a week. I'd do a sand run at least once a week. I would do a grass run twice a week and then the rest was on concrete. And it was very varied. So it was really good. Like changes in running surfaces, changes how your skeleton is loaded, which reduces your rate of injury. And also your skeleton gets used to a certain type of injury as well, is worth saying. And what happened to me 
I had a few things that changed. I had, so my volume stayed very similar, although that's, <laughs> it was also, um, I didn't have any rest days. I didn't have any, well, I had some rest days. I had minimal rest days and no recovery or deload weeks, which is a big error on my part. So that was huge, putting my hand up and admitting to that. I did not have recovery weeks. I did not, I did not have recovery weeks. So I admit to that. I know that was bad, blah, blah, blah. But what I did do, which was really bad and really silly, is I had a knee injury and never actually had anyone look at it. But I believe I had a meniscus injury in my right knee. I landed weird in the bush, kind of like jumped over this rock or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. I had uh, sort of like a twist and had this really sharp pain in my knee. I uh, got all swollen and pretty much from that moment, I finished the run. It was on this 50k trail run in Coffs Harbour. Beautiful, wonderful run. And I think it was like around 35K. So I still had a bit to go. And like, honestly, I wasn't that bothered by it. Like it was okay to run. But the next day, unable to bend it, unable to like really take any, like couldn't do any single leg squats on it, anything like that. And what did I do? Like the silly girl I am, I continued to run, but I was like, okay, my knee hurts when I run uphill, downhill, or if I twist and turn, like I can't really change direction suddenly or change pace suddenly. So instead of doing that beautiful varied terrain running that I was doing, I did all my running on the concrete, everything on the concrete. And it's not the concrete is necessarily bad, but it was just that I wasn't used to running 130 Ks on the concrete. And not only did I just run on the concrete, I increased the speed of all my runs because I was like, oh, there's no hills. I can run faster, which I didn't think that I was going that much faster and I wasn't like it wasn't dramatic but 20 up to 30 seconds faster per k over 130 k's a week adds up so silly very silly I had a calf tear on my opposite side because I was limping limping for eight weeks with this silly knee this silly swollen knee and obviously the next thing after my calf tear was my bone stress so looking back it was really clear about what happened it was really clear I completely changed my uh, surfaces that I was running on and I completely changed my biomechanics. I was limping. You should never, ever limp when you're running because you're going to end up with an injury on the other side. Now, it may not happen if you're only running 10Ks a week, if you're just doing park run and another social run. It may not happen for a few weeks. Uh, It might take longer. But if you continuously limp for an extended period of time, it's highly likely that something's going to happen. And if you're already running at your volume, like your max, sorry, at your max capacity, which for me, I was running the most I'd ever run in my life. I'd had the longest period of no injuries. So everything was good. Everything was great. I was like, cool. Like I'm not tired. I'm enjoying running. I'm not training for anything. I'm not training hard. Running is easy. Running is leisurely. Running is fun, enjoyable, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't consider, and gosh, looking back, I'm like, Lydia, what? Like you would never... You would never say to a patient that that's okay. Why was that okay for you to limp for eight weeks? So guys, if you are currently running through pain, you may not be making that injury worse. Because for me, I was like, my knee's not getting worse. My knee's actually getting better. But you're likely to cause something else. So don't go from one benign injury to two injuries, one being benign and one being bad because of your poor biomechanics. So all right, that's enough with that. Um, In terms of like my current situation, I think it's about my hip and it's about my hamstring. I've done the exact same thing. I stopped running on trails when I had my hamstring tear. When I had my hip injury, I like really increased my cadence and I was limping when I was running. So silly girl, again, I've done it again. And I feel very silly, but 
you know, it is what it is. It's not personal. It's very mild. I've caught it early. I don't think this one is going to take as long. Okay, so we've talked about the risk factors. We've talked about how it occurs, what it is. The most important thing I want you to understand, I mean, there's so many important things, but these are complex injuries and there's not just one thing that caused it. It's not just like I went from running not at all to running heaps and now I've got an injury. Yes, that is part of it, but there's a lot of other moving parts to it. And if your sort of baseline of bone mineral density or bone health isn't great, you're going to be more likely to have an injury. And some people, unfortunately, the way the cards have been dealt are naturally going to be, I was going to, not fighting a losing battle. It's definitely not that sort of um, bad, but it's more just that you're going to have to work harder at your bone density and you're going to have to be more diligent about your recovery weeks and more diligent about your strength work. So more episodes to come diving into those risk factors. But for now, let's move on and talk about the different areas of our body that get injured. Now, there's some areas which are considered high risk and others which are low risk. And if you've got a high risk stress fracture, basically it means that that bone in your body is either either has poor blood supply, so it takes longer to heal, or the area that it's in, if the fracture develops and progresses, you're more likely to need surgery to repair it because potentially poor blood supply or potentially just the anatomical area, it's more likely to end up displaced, which is, you know, going to need to be surgically managed. So not not always, like, again, there's nuance to it. It depends on the type of bone. Like I mentioned before, cancerous bone compared to trabecular bone, uh, or sorry, compared to cortical bone, or the actual like part of the bone, like whether it's distal, proximal, along the shaft, etc. Like there's lots of factors, but generally speaking, the high risk areas are our femoral neck, the anterior tibia, so the front of your shin, not the side of your shin, the front, navicular, which is a bone in your foot, the base of the fifth metatarsal, uh, so like the outside of your foot. <laughs> it's so funny. I just a little side note on that. A lot of people think that like one, two, three, four, five, fifth metatarsal, second metatarsal means like your toe. I remember when I had my second metatarsal, people were like, oh, your toe. I'm like, no, it's not my toe. It's the middle of my foot. Um, so yeah, guys, metatarsal, have a look on Google images. Metatarsal does not mean toe. Just because you have five of them, it's not your toe. It's just like the middle part of your foot. Anyway, moving on. Um, so go through them again. Femoral neck, anterior tibia, navicular, base of fifth, uh, medial malleolus, so inside ankle bone um, and lateral talus. So that's uh, the, well, it's an ankle bone and it's like kind of underneath, underneath your tibia, but on the lateral side of that. Okay. So they're the high risk areas. If you do have a high risk stress fracture or bone stress, your management is going to be far more conservative and the deloading, unloading is going to be more dramatic. So it's really important to not push those and not be sort of carefree and be like, ah, yeah, like, yeah, it'll get better. It'll be fine. Uh, you're going to need to have a bit more close monitoring. And again, not always there is nuance in this. Yet very frequently, if I have a patient that's got a fracture site in this high risk area, or even just as early as grade one, grade two bone stress, I'm going to refer them to a sports doctor, even potentially refer them to an endocrinologist, potentially a dietitian. I'm going to be encouraging that patient to get more eyes on them, essentially, because as I said, it's very complex. And as a physio, I mostly deal with the mechanical loading of a patient and I manage that aspect, I manage strength and return to run. But I, I'm not an endocrinologist. I'm not a doctor. 
I am not able to go into the details of their diet, of their metabolic health, of their endocrine health, etc., etc., etc. With the grading, so if you're getting your your body graded, you're going to get an MRI, and it's usually between grade one and grade four. Now, grade one is the lowest grade, grade four is the highest. At grade four, that's when it is a proper fracture line, but grade three is still considered a stress fracture too. Um, Grade one and two are like that more stress reaction. Now, the stress reaction initially starts just in the outer layer of the bones, the periosteum. And then when it's greater, you get edema or swelling on the inner layer of the bone. And again, it can be just the outer, uh, the outer cortical bone or it can be that trabecular sort of spongy bone on the inside. And depending on how far it's progressed, like the, the more of the bone that gets injured, the longer that recovery is going to be. So for me right now, I haven't had my MRI yet. Now, I was actually thinking about not getting one because I was like, well, basically it just needs to heal. It needs time off. It needs time off. But it is my fifth metatarsal. And it is on the mid shaft from where I can press the soreness. But I haven't, I haven't got MRI eyes. So I can't see if there is damage further proximal. So like further up towards me of my metatarsal. So it's possible that... The part of my metatarsal, which is injured, could be around that base of the fifth met, which is an avascular zone, which means that it doesn't get good blood supply, which could make it a high risk stress fracture. Now, I don't think that's where it is. Like, I don't think so. Just based on my palpation. In saying that, I initially thought this was my perineal, which attaches to the base of the fifth metatarsal, because I sort of thought that was where my pain was, which is why I'm getting it MRI, because I really want to see exactly where it is. And I also want to see the extent of the bone damage. Is it just that outer layer of bone or is it gone into that spongy layer on the inside? Like, is this going to be a short return to run or is it going to be a really long return to run? So that MRI is really going to give you a clearer prognosis, going to let you know how lengthy your recovery is going to be. The most important part though, at the start of the injury is like, let's say you've identified you've got the, got the injury. You need to find a way to be moving around throughout your day in pain free movement. Now that is going to be different to everyone, but really that's the goal at the start. It's deloading. You're not going to be running. You're not going to be doing any jumping and hopping because any sort of axial loading is is really heavy stress to our bones so that's exactly what we want to avoid um but the length at which you or the amount at which you avoid that is mostly guided by pain now for some people that can be really hard because you know what is pain like is it awareness is it like a tiny sort of ache is it like a little bit of sensitivity like at what point is it really pain and that's something which i found really hard the last couple of weeks because I was like I'm pretty sure I've got some bone stress but we do know from research that there's actually a lot of athletes which do have really mild bone stress which is appear, appears on images yet never actually turns into stress fractures and never actually have symptoms so I don't want you to take that to mean too much but I guess what I'm saying is that Sometimes we can have these injuries and it actually may not progress. If we pull back our loading, do things that are pain-free, have like a period of six to eight weeks, even 12 weeks of like not really pushing your training, like pull everything back off, maybe do day on day off running, et cetera, and don't push into any pain. And your body will probably be able to catch up and rebalance out that sort of micro damage to like remodeling process and you're going to heal that bone so I I was sort of thinking "Mm, I actually reckon I might be able to get away with that like 
just go to pull back to down day of running, do like four or five Ks at the most, maybe do run walking. That's sort of what I thought I was at um, because before I did that 4K, I did a 10K pain-free and then had a week off, did the 4K, mm, kind of awareness, day off. Yeah, and you guys know the rest of the story. So it, it is a tricky one, that sort of like pain-free activity. If in doubt, guys, that's where you get the MRI. That's where you see a physio. In fact, you should be seeing a physio anyway. So I'm just assuming that you're going to be. But pain is a big indicator of how much you can do. And in terms of like actual like running and hopping activities, my advice to anyone, that is a blanket no. Any bone injury, we just don't do any any hopping or running for – and when I say hopping, I'm just saying hopping in case like you're a runner who's like, oh, cool, like – I won't run. Instead, I'll play tennis. Like anything where you're jumping um, is just not a go. And same goes for axial loading at the gym. Like squatting, heavy squatting is going to be putting a lot of stress on your bone. So blanket no is the best approach for at least six weeks because think about any time you've had a fracture anywhere else in your body, fall out of a tree, land on your arm, you've got a radial fracture, you put it in a cast for six weeks, you take it out and you're good as new. Well, not exactly, but more or less. So Typically, bones are like at least six weeks to sort of quote unquote heal, which the actual healing time is not quite six weeks. It's not quite like that. But, you know, that's going to be the the first sort of major part. So not running is definitely going to be a part of it. But in terms of like your general ADLs, so your acts of daily living, we want those to be pain free. Now, depending on the stress fracture side, if it's a high risk, I'm more likely to give someone crutches. I'm more likely to put them in a boot. And have them non-weight bearing, which means they're not going to be putting their foot down on the ground. They're not actually going to be taking any weight through that foot for potentially six weeks. Now, when I had my stress fracture a few years ago, that's what I did. I was on crutches for, I think, four weeks, I think. Um, And, you know, that could be argued as like potentially too much deloading, potentially not enough. Like everyone's going to have a slightly different management and the research is constantly evolving. There's like more thoughts and eyes on this sort of injury and it's constantly evolving so best management is always changing a little bit by little bit and looking back I actually think I was on crutches too long but that's a story for another day currently I so yeah I'm walking around in my boot pain-free which means that's perfect that's right that's what I should be doing now depending on what my MRI says will determine how long I stay in my boot could be up to six weeks if it's only a grade one I'm, I'm sort of anticipating, and again, grade one, depending on what part of the bone, I'm expecting like 10 days in the boot, maybe two weeks, but probably not much more than that. Maybe even take it off soon, provided I'm going to be moderating how many steps I'm taking in a day. Because obviously, if you're trying to heal a bone, you can't just take it out of a boot and go back to normal activity. So that's really important. All right. How long does it take to heal and how long um, does it take until you can run? This is going to depend on a few things. It's going to depend on your uh, baseline. Like what was your previous running history? So like, let's say you are someone who your longest run you'd ever done was like 20 Ks and you were running like 40 Ks a week. And that was like how you got your stress fracture. I'm not going to bring you back up to 40 Ks a week in a couple of weeks time after the, you know, healing phase or whatever. But if you're someone who's previously run like, you know, many ultras, your normal weekly training volume is hundred Ks, you're going to be up to that sort of 40 K mark a bit quicker than the other person that I just described. So 
your training history is going to have a big factor on how long until you can run again and then your actual like general bone health so that's why it's good to go and get further investigations to actually see what that is like because if you've got really good bone mineral density you're gonna be able to have a much more rapid return to run which is why for myself I'm going to get a DEXA scan next week and actually see what my bone mineral density is like and that's gonna have a factor on my prognosis as well um, other things, the type of bone, whether it's cortical or trabecular, so like deeper or outer bone, that will def- affect the healing. Um, and then whether it's high risk, low risk, whether it's proximal, whether it's distal, whether it's on the anterior side of the tibia compared to the other side or medial, I should say, like all that is going to have a factor. Hence why you really need a proper team to help you and manage the injury. Uh, but usually it's quite a long time. Unfortunately, the theme of returning from bony injury is slow and steady. And like I mentioned at the start of the episode, when I had my stress fracture, I did not do any speed work for 12 months. And that's because full remineralization of the bones is usually around 12 months. And that first year post stress fracture or bone stress, you are so much more likely to have another bone stress injury. And many people uh, redo it when I redo it, like have another bone stress injury in the exact same area because I haven't fully healed that area. Now for me, my bone stress is on a different foot. So like, I don't think it's really got much to do with my, my first one. Um, it's, it seems very biomechanical to me. Oh, something I I didn't mention. Um, and this is just like a little like rule of thumb, which, is again it's nuanced like there's nothing that is like this is it always and forever but with bone stress typically if our bone stress is caused by someone who has got like really poor bone mineral density or some kind of poor energy availability so something like reds relative energy deficiency syndrome they're more likely to have bone stress injuries more proximal So further up the chain, thinking areas like femoral neck, sacrum, even just your femur in general, that is usually an energy availability issue or some kind of endocrine issue, some kind of metabolic issue. Whereas bone stress injuries, which are further distal, are usually more a biomechanical error or a training error. And like it can be a bit of both. It is more nuanced. So when I've described to you my history of how I've ended up with this injury, it makes a lot of sense. Like I've had a few injuries. My running form has been a little bit off. I also know my recovery hasn't been great. And my actual training load stayed the same. Um, I have a period. My endocrine health has been really good the past like four or so years, blah, blah, blah. So mine seems more like a biomechanical slash training error which for me gives me a lot of comfort and peace of mind because I'm like amazing like I don't have to navigate the reds I don't have to navigate the energy availability all that stuff in saying that I am someone who likes to dot my i's cross my t's and I want to go and get a bone mineral density scan I want to exhaust every avenue I want to get blood tests again I want to see a sports dietitian I want to like nail every single thing because it's, it's not just my foot and it's not just running. It's my whole life. Like it's my health. And I would encourage everyone to have that same approach of just caring about their health and wanting to be the best version of themselves. And as long as it's not driven by, I guess, some sort of like health obsession and like fear and, you know, needing to be this perfect human with perfect bone mineral density and perfect metabolic and endocrine health, like, you know, nothing is perfect 
that's just life, whatever. Like you can't have this perfect ideal up on a pedestal and always like being the best. Like that's just how life goes, except that things ups and downs, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's, it's nice to strive for being the best version of yourself in all the capacities. So that's, that's what I think. And that would be my advice is to seek those extra investigations. And, and mostly you're probably just going to be ruling out things, but you also might uncover some stuff that you could work on. And it might be really simple. It might be as simple as adding in a strength session per week or adding in, you know, an extra rest day or recovery week. And that was something that I've really changed since my previous bone stress is having a recovery week, which sounds so obvious and I'm going to hope that most of you listening are going to be like, yeah, of course, like deload week, recovery week, obviously. Yet for some reason, that just did not occur to my to my brain. I just didn't see the need to have a recovery week because I wasn't tired. I was like, you don't need to recover if you're not tired. If you feel good, if you feel energized, and I mostly feel very energized. Like I am, I would say I'm mostly a high energy person. I I, I do things that I love and I do things that I enjoy and I, I really love getting up early and going to the gym and doing my workout and going for a run and swimming in the ocean and just doing all the things like I get so excited and I enjoy what I do and I I never felt tired so I was like what like what is the recovery week like I'm not training for anything I'm not competing at a high level I'm just having fun I, I literally am just running for the enjoyment like I'm a leisure runner I I'm not training that hard like nothing is that hard it's all quite easy Yet I didn't respect the fact that your body still needs recovery time because the training load that I was doing, despite the fact that I didn't feel cardiovascularly challenged and muscularly, I felt really good, no tendon pain or nothing. I, my bones, my skeleton had never been loaded like that before. I didn't have a history of high volumes of running. I've had a lot of injuries as a kid, a lot of injuries growing up, and I just never had that much consistency of running. So it was a huge volume on my skeleton, which I hadn't experienced before. And I really just didn't consider the importance of a rest week. And so since the injury, I have read up about recovery weeks and I've read up about bones and something that I implemented after reading this study about athletes who have a full week off training every 12 weeks compared to just a deload week actually showed improved bone mineral density in these athletes. So what I did is decide every 12 weeks to have a full week off running, which I would say is not super common amongst the running community. A lot of runners will just have a deload week. So you just drop your volume by like 30 to 60%. And whether you do it every three weeks, every four weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks, but I had every 12 weeks, full week off. And every six weeks, I just had a deload, which was crazy for me. And the first couple times that I had it, gosh, it was really hard. Like I really genuinely was like, whoa, like, gosh, like I'm just, I'm so used to getting up and exercising. It was so weird to not run. Um, and not like, yeah, not do heaps of jumping and hopping. Um, but fortunately for me, I have other things that I enjoy doing. So I feel the gap very easily. And after like, you know, six months, well, maybe a year, I just got really comfortable with having like those deload weeks that, you know, all this year I've done it as well. Like since the injury, I've done it in saying that I did start to get a little bit slack this year on my sort of weeks off. I might go for like one run, even two runs and like really short runs, but I did, I didn't have a full deload. And part of me was like, yeah, I'll do it soon. Like I'll do it next week. I'll do it next six week block, whatever. Um, yeah, I just got a little bit slack with it for no real reason. 
I mean, actually, no, the, one of the reasons was I didn't want to be too tied up to numbers or too tied up to a specific routine. Like I really liked the idea of being somewhat intuitive and going a little bit by feel. And, you know, if there's a fun social event and it's a run, I'm going to say yes. And if there's, you know, some sort of activity or whatever that I want to do that means that I can't run, I'm going to say yes to that as well. Like I don't want to ever be too sort of rigid and strict with a a plan that prohibits me from just being spontaneous and having fun and enjoying my life. Unfortunately for me, my version of fun frequently looks like uh, doing an excessive amount. Well, actually, no, I'm not going to say excessive, but doing something which was uh, too much for my skeleton at that given point in time, given my poor ability to recover due to, you know, myriad of things. Anyway, that is pretty much all we're going to cover today. So there is, as I've said, so much more. But today is just really an overview of what they are, uh, how you get them diagnosed, what the grading is like, what that early management looks like, how long it takes to heal, um, risk factors, all that jazz. Hopefully you've learned some things. Hopefully there's some takeaways from this episode. I'm sure there are. Uh, And I'm sure you're going to apply them to your running. I think overall, the biggest bit of advice that I have is seek help when you're not sure. Seek help when you've got pain. Seek help when, yeah, when things just don't quite feel right because you are the only person who's in your body all the time. And if there's any sort of like needles or injuries, it's really worth getting them looked at because small things add up when we do lots of running. And yeah, I don't, don't get to the point where you've got bone stress because you're better than that and you don't have to have it. In saying that, if you do, guys, it's okay because it's not personal. You're going to learn from it. You're going to come back stronger, better, fitter, faster, and just more like knowledgeable and calm and relaxed and patient and consistent. All those good words, which we love and know. All right, guys, that is it. That is enough rambling for me. I, as always, was like, oh, I'm just going to do a short little like, you know, covering the few basics. And as I said, that was really just a few of the main things. There is so much more to bone stress and stay tuned. This is really just part one. There's going to be more. So just you wait. I am going to put some resources in the show notes. Now, I know sometimes I say that and I don't always put them in, but I'm actually going to put them in this time. And I also just a little mention to running mate or running matic. I'm not actually sure how you say it, but uh, there, there's a fantastic website with um, some physical therapists in the States who have some amazing videos about bone stress injuries and like a really nice sort of, do you think you have a bone stress injury? Well, this is what you can do, blah, blah, blah. Like just some really simple things. And yeah, you can even listen to them at two times speed and smash them out and you'll probably learn a lot. So if you're after someone who's a little bit more concise than I am and a little bit less woo-woo, then that could be an option for you as well. So I'm going to put put that in the show notes. And that is all for today. That is all for another solo episode. I am really stoked that you made it to the end. If you have, guys, don't forget to leave a review and get excited for next week's episode. And what else? Follow us on Instagram. Guys, check out The Strongest Drive at Strongest Drive. That's all it is. Very easy to remember. And join us for chat. And that's all, guys. Have a fantastic Sunday or whenever you're listening, wherever you're listening. Happy running.